to Wake the Bear Radio with your host, Brandon Johnson, Chris Hurst, and Ron Powers. Yes, the bear is California. The bear is waking up, and uh, we are glad that you can uh, be with us tonight as we do another show. This is show uh, 118, I think. Yeah, 118. So uh, really exciting uh, to get back uh, behind in the studio just after we spent an incredible weekend with the Reawakening Tour. Uh, It's Clay Clark's Reawaken America Tour. So it was amazing. Uh, every 15 minutes to half hour, they had a different speaker, and uh, I, I just was—I left blessed and really energized and encouraged. How about you guys? Yeah, well, we got a chance to meet uh, Michael Flynn, General Flynn. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the <laughs> general himself. Wake, wake the bear T-shirts, and uh, this was after the show. What a what an amazing, amazing um, event. I mean. 70 speakers over the course of 15, you know, over two days, 15 minute speeches, um, just a, a ton of information and um, just really high quality speakers, doctors, um, lawyers, um, people that who are uh, really well accomplished, who are really well spoken, talking about, um, you know, just waking in, uh, America back up. And I, I love the name, you know, reawaken, you know, I, my name, my new book's going to be called Re-America. So it's definitely one of the re-words. Do it. Do it again, Lord. Bring us back to our founding. Change us back, you know. And uh, this whole thing was dedicated to that, of course. Yeah, there was so much energy at the at the reawaken um, time, and we got a lot of content. I know we all learned something, and we met new friends. Uh, we got new ideas. We understood some new um, new things. So if you get a chance next June in Detroit, Michigan, they're going to have their next one. So we'd encourage you to go. Also, we went live um, in a bear pause from there, and we just put that up on our website at wakethebearradio.com. So check it out, and you can uh, hear us while we were there. I think I'm just now thawing out my toe. I can finally feel my toes again. It was cold. It was cold. <laughs> yeah, it was in a big, uh, I don't want to call it a warehouse. It's kind of like the cow palace, uh, you know, where they, they probably do agriculture stuff, but they did not have any heaters. And so it took a while to warm up. I was freezing. <laughs> yeah. yeah you least, see the uh, up there, big old uh, cow palace type of thing. We did get a chance to, to meet Liz Crokin, the uh, vampire hunter who was featured in the film that we showed at um, Convergence called um, Out of Shadows and Into the Light. Both those films were showed. She's in both of those. She's really brought a, brought a lot of um, uh, information out about some of the child trafficking that's been going on in our country and really exposing the darkness, which, of course, that's what this show is about, is exposing darkness, asking questions, not just going along as mindless sheep, um, believing the narratives that people give us, but actually asking questions. And all of these speakers were doing that. They were challenging us to think deeply, um, think more clearly about some of these major issues. What were some of the, like the major highlights that you had, Chris or Ron? Go ahead, Ron. Okay, uh, for me, it was um, it was Donay uh, Clement Petruski. Uh, she or Petruska. She is the daughter of the late Kim Clement, who actually was a prophetic voice 
And I actually wind up doing a bear pause uh, earlier today. I would really encourage you to uh, take a look at it. It's on uh, Rumble and Cloud Hub. And it uh, basically, I just played it. I just introduced it. It just moved me so much. I was so uh, encouraged. And one particular part that I was really encouraged was um, that uh, there was a part where um, Kim years before said uh, a man by the name of Mr. Clark will be sitting with Donald and I am speaking to you. And you're asking, are you speaking to us? Is it us? Yes, it is you. And you will win this election. You will win that election. And the thing is, is uh, Clay Clark didn't even uh, had never met the president during the first election. And so he had just met him in the last year or so in person and sat next to him and they both watched it. And he says, you're watching me. And uh, so that to me says that this is the second one. Um, And so I was really encouraged by that. So please watch it if you I mean. If you're not sure about the prophetic, you think it's corny or you're totally into it, I think it would be a, the perfect one to watch. It's, it's really a good one. So, um, well, yeah, and I think it was really good. I mean, here he is prophesying about Donald Trump being president in 2007, well before he even was a candidate to run. And so he gives a bunch of prophecies, which, you know, are a little freaky when you read them, when you listen to them and you see the time and date stamped on them that he was getting these downloads from God. And so some of us are new to the prophetic, you know, and I'm, I've been in a little bit, but I know that God speaks for people's encouragement and exhortation and comfort, but he also speaks about the, the, the what's about to take place. You know, the prophets, you know, the Bible says that God does nothing without first revealing what he's about to do, his servants, the prophets. So we saw some major things happen, um, you know, that were, were prophesied well before it. So yeah, and this I, I watched some of your bear pause, Ron, really good. So check it out on our normal Wake the Bear Radio down here. Click on there and go watch uh, this most recent bear pause. Yeah, and I, I think I enjoyed Judy Mikovits. Uh, it's the first time I had heard her in person, and she's a uh, she's a uh, former American research scientist, a, a brilliant biochemist and an anti-vaccine activist from the research. She did work with Dr. Fauci, and uh, she had some things to say about that research and about him. And uh, it's a great segue into our guest tonight. Yes, we have a really, really great guest tonight, and I'm, I'm excited to have him. This is uh, Leon Canero. He's coming on here. We've got a, he wrote a book here. Uh, I'm going to show share the screen of this book and the, uh, the unfortunate truth about vaccines. And uh, it's, this book is um, exposing the vaccine orthodoxy, Leo Canero. And so we're just about to bring him on. I just want to show his picture before I brought him on and I'll stop the screen share and bring Leon on. Welcome, Leon. Well, hi there. Oh, welcome. It's, uh, we're Glad honored to have you. Yeah, we, yes. uh, I'm excited to have you on our show finally. You know, we, I met you at Bra- Santa Cruz Brave and Free that one night. Yeah, and I, I got to meet you at Santa Cruz Brave and Free that one night. I remember people were asking you about your book, and and you're like, ah, I'm not here to sell my book. I'm just here to make friends. And we're like, no, no, tell us your book. And then you, I got a copy of your book. And, man, I, I, I'm loving it. It's very well written, um, very succinct to the point, um, really well researched. And um, why don't you maybe tell us just a little bit about your background? I, what I know is that you are involved in early education and you were seeing some correlation between vaccines and um, and autism and other neurological 
disorders. So just tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you get into this? Why, what made you write the book? Where, what you, where'd you, where have you kind of been led in your journey? And what part of the bear do you want to wake up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting over a cold. So uh, please bear with me if I start coughing and hacking here. Um, well. I was a school psychologist for 35 years from 1972 up until I retired in 2007. And I worked with special needs children at the preschool, elementary through high school and post-secondary level. And <clears throat> in the early 90s, uh, I noticed all of a sudden this dramatic increase in the number of uh, autistic children and having worked with them going back more than 20 years previously, I realized that autism was an extremely rare condition, that it was uh, roughly one in 10,000 back in 1970. And so when I started seeing all of these autistic children coming up, I started to wonder what was going on and I looked into it and one of the things that I noticed was that uh, there was this connection between the increasing amount of vaccines that children were receiving at the same time that there was this dramatic increase in autism. And the more I looked into it, the more it became obvious to me that this was in fact a connection. And when I tried to talk with others in the field, other psychologists and people in special ed and, and even administrators, I was surprised to see that there was such a resistance to the notion that there could be any problem, any problems with vaccines. And so uh, that led up to me getting more involved and I ended up writing a book on the subject and one of the things that I uh, talk about is the, uh, the vaccine orthodoxy. And what that means is that there is this belief that vaccines are safe and effective and the benefits outweigh the risks. And it was hard for me to uh, get that. And so um, when I uh, looked into, you know, why people were so resistant to it. It seemed that it had a lot to do with the, the mythology that we've all grown up with, you know, that we learned from early childhood that vaccines cured uh, polio and smallpox and that uh, it was uh, the savior for millions of children and people around the world. And it was uh, presented as something that uh, was one of the great uh, miracles of modern medicine. Uh, however, I, I didn't see it quite that way. And uh, I've been trying to understand how we could talk with people in a way that they could put aside their beliefs and be open to the possibility that there's, there's more to this subject than what people realize. And it's hard because, you know, you, you grow up with this notion that vaccines have always been wonderful. 
and that uh, the medical community uh, reinforces it all the time and in the media and so forth that they've saved lives and all of that. And so I made reference to an American historian, Daniel Borstein, and he wrote that the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, it's the belief the perception of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And this to me is like, what is one of the main problems in trying to talk with people about this? Because if people believe strongly that uh, what they believe for them, it ends up living to them as if it is the truth. And once something is believed to be the truth, you don't question it anymore. What you do is you defend it. And so it's very hard to get people to see that there's perhaps more to the subject. And how do we get people to, you know, be open to taking in more information so that they can, you know, perhaps shift their perspective. And like all topics, the, uh, as the expression goes, the devil is in the details. And if you don't look at the details, you're most likely just going to kind of go along with what you hear over and over in the media. So um, one of the things I tried to do in the book and uh, try to do when I talk with people is to give kind of a historical perspective about what is the history to go back and to see where we've started and where we have come to today in regards to vaccines. Back in the 50s, I grew up in the late 40s and 50s. I'm 79. And um, when, I, when I was in elementary school, the first vaccine I ever got was not even a vaccine. It was droplets from the uh, polio vaccine on a sugar cube that everyone in school got. And that was my first introduction with the vaccine. In the 50s, children got maybe five vaccine doses. They would get the polio shot, they would get the uh, smallpox, and then the DPT, diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus. That was it. Those were the only vaccine doses that you got in your entire childhood. By the time the 80s came around, the early 80s, children were then receiving 24 vaccine doses. Wow. And there was, there was this dramatic increase where, for example, the DPT shot in the early 80s was given five times at two months, four months, six months, at 18 months, and then again at four years of age. And there was a uh, parent who ended up writing a book, uh, Barbara Lou, uh, um, blank, Barbara Lou Fisher, who uh, wrote this book, A Shot in the Dark. And what it was, was an expose of the uh, vaccine, in particular, the pertussis element of the uh, DPT shot that was causing problems. And 
you know, so you see in the, uh, the fact that you got five DPT shots in the early 80s that what this was doing was creating problems to such a degree that um, parents were suing the pharmaceutical industry and they were winning these multi-million dollar settlements. And it got to such a point that by the mid 80s, the pharmaceutical industry was starting to say that they wanted some kind of protection from all of these lawsuits. And if they didn't get it, they would stop producing vaccines. So well, what happened is in 1986, Congress ended up passing the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And what this, what this did is it eliminated any liability uh, for the pharmaceutical industry or medical doctors for any uh, vaccine injuries. And how it was paid for was a 75 cent charge on all vaccines that the government collected to put into a fund to service these uh, children that were damaged by the vaccines. So Lee and I had a quick question on that. Do you think, uh, do you think the pharmacy or the big pharma was doing a bluff, like saying, Hey, we're going to pull back knowing that they, they reached a critical mass that people would say, Oh no, no, don't, don't take away the vaccines. We need them. I mean, do you think they were waiting for a certain time and, and that way it looks like, Hey, we're not pushing it, you know, but, but if you want it, you're going to have to take away the, uh, you know, the threat of lawsuits. Well, I think um, my take on it is the threat would be for the politicians because they would not have the money uh, for their own campaigns because the amount of money that the pharmaceutical industry gives to politicians is enormous, twice as much as the next uh, highest industry. And so I think it was uh, as a way of pressuring uh, Congress to do something. and then. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan ended up signing it into law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that yeah, was one of his I thought he was a great president. Uh, as Vivek said uh, in the debates, you know, he believed that Ronald Reagan erred in that area. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, there was a conversation with Ronald Reagan and Anthony Fauci where he actually literally said to him, well, can't you just make them safer? Like, why do we need to create this special, you know, ability, you know, protect protections. And they're like, no, we can't because we'll be sued and we can't do experimentation. So he went ahead and signed it. And man, gosh, it took away all accountability for these. Yeah. And uh, this has been disastrous. Um, and so today we've gone from um, uh, 24 vaccines in the early 80s to now uh, it is 72 vaccine doses by the time a child is 18 years old. And this is based on the recommendation of the uh, CDC, their vaccine schedule. And so as a result of this law being passed, what this did is it essentially opened the floodgates. So now the pharmaceutical industry could add any vaccines they wanted because they knew there was no liability and it was mandated. And so this was like the, uh, the perfect world for them. Mm. So what happened is starting in the late 80s and going into the 90s, they added the hepatitis B, 
the Hib vaccine, the DTAP, which is a newer version of the DTP, DPT, the Prevnar, the flu shot, the uh, uh, human papilloma virus, the uh, the um, the shingles virus. So all of these additional vaccines created increased problems. And so what you see is that as the amount of vaccines increased, the amount of adverse child reactions followed it. There was a direct correlation. The more vaccines, the more autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like they're on their way to go, go on. And so, have you seen the um, the montage of Pfizer supporting all of the news agencies? There's actually a video clip of actually. Yeah. Uh, I will show it. I'll show it towards the end, but it's like hundreds of times, probably thousands of times. Brought to you by Pfizer. Brought to you by CNN. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC. Brought to you like so that so five so they 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 get a, a immunization. I mean, they, they, they there's no accountability. It's mandated and. They can just funnel money to the news medias, which will just tell them continue to keep saying what they want them to say, or not questioning any of their of the of the studies or any of the problems, adverse yeah. reactions. And, and you said, let me just confirm, you said that uh, that as a lobbyist group, the pharmaceutical companies are twice as much as the next um, the, the next highest lobbyist group for. Um, for our, our congressional and members. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's about three times as many uh, lobbyists from the pharmaceutical and health industry than there are uh, congressmen in, you know, in Congress. So we're talking about roughly 1,500 lobbyists. And politicians really don't know anything about vaccines. Uh, they pretty much go along with what the pharmaceutical industry says, the lobbyists and the medical establishment, which you know is pushing these vaccines. And so consequently, um, they go along with it. They think, well, you know, what, what could be the problem? They don't look into the details. What they realize is that if they go along with these recommendations, they, uh, benefit financially and that's that's the problem and so these vaccines just keep on getting added on and there's uh little discussion about the problem with these vaccines because everyone again as comes from the point of view the vaccines are safe and effective and they save lives and all of that there's a major conflict of interest here going on Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely is. So. Um, yeah, we understand you're not a, a physician. You're not a, a medical doctor, but you, your story is that you observed some things in education with special needs and you were able to then begin to do that triggered you to the research uh, and that you began to see correlations between the increased vaccine schedule and then the amount of um, neurodeficits and autism in children. Yeah. And um, if you look at 
the amount of vaccines that the United States gives compared to all the other countries in the world, we exceed all of them. So we give more vaccines than any other country. And more uh, significantly, we give more vaccines at an earlier age than any other country in the world. And if vaccines were so wonderful, then we would actually assume that we would have the healthiest children on the planet because we give the most vaccines. When in fact, we have the worst health outcomes in our children uh, compared to all the other developed countries in the world. Wow. And um, wow, people, people don't get that. They don't hear it. But that is in fact what's going on. Seems like you have a, an awareness. I mean, that you're going about your business uh, in the education department, and you're just looking and and noticing. Hey, there's an increase in numbers, but enough to drive you to um, to do some investigation. I think that's a really uh, key point because I think for our audience, you know, a lot of times our audience is like, well, what what can we do to to help the cause and stuff? And and I think you're a prime example here that. The fact that you weren't a doctor, but you were actually right there at ground zero with the education department with kids and schools, and you're you're noticing something, and you did something about it. You actually said, you know, I think I'm going to look into that rather than, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I have a lot of friends that have seen the increase because they, they know some friends that now have kids with autism, and but they don't do anything. And, and so uh, my hat's off to you for that, uh, that you actually – you know, went forward and did something about it. He said, I'm going to look into this. And, uh, and I, I think this is very valuable. And, and you said, uh, Leon, you said that when you started that autism in 19, the seventies was one in 10,000. And it's my understanding now that in America, autism is one in 36. Is that a correct statistic according to what you understand? Well, you, hear, you hear different statistics. Um, I think the latest that I've seen, and that was as of 2020, it was one in 30. And this was by a survey done through uh, government that uh, was actually uh, covered in pediatrics journal put wow. out by the American Academy of Pediatrics in June. Wow. 2022. Um, so that would be like in a normal classroom. I grew up with, you know, there are usually about 30 kids in a classroom. That would be one of those kids in every single classroom is projected to, to get autism um, it now. And I also saw a statistic that they were expecting that to rise by 2032 to one in two, which I found that just not only yeah. frightening, but um, difficult to believe. I mean, it, it just yeah, took it's... my breath away. When yeah. my children were given their inoculations, you know, it was about, we were told it's about one in 10,000 and you go benefits, risks, you know, 10,000. That's a lot of people uh, considering what, what they said the benefits were. And so even though every time my kids had had um, vaccines, I was concerned. I watched them very closely, but it was a risk at one in 10,000 that uh, I, I assumed as, as a parent I was supposed to take. But one in 30, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's shocking, shocking because 
the implications are, I, I just can't even imagine what the world would be like if half the children in 2032 oh. are autistic. And they're predicting that in boys, males, it'll be 80%. So this, wow. would, this would be catastrophic. Um, and, you know, if you look at the amount of vaccines the children receive today, by the time they're six months old, they will receive 25 vaccine doses following the CDC vaccine schedule. This was unheard of in previous generations, like back in the 50s, a child would get maybe five vaccine doses and they wouldn't have to do that until they entered public school at maybe five years of age. And so what we're doing is we're inundating these immature infants with these vaccines, all of them have toxic ingredients. You know, we give the hepatitis B vaccine to an infant 12 hours after they come out of the womb. Hepatitis B is something that people who are sexually active get, or someone who is a drug addict sharing needles. This is hardly a classification for a newborn coming wow. out of the womb. And so, um, the rationale that the CDC later came up with was the fact that because adults are not getting the hepatitis B vaccine, if we give it to newborns, by the time they become adults, they'll have coverage, which doesn't make sense to begin with. But the, but the, but the fact is that all of these vaccines wane with time. So an infant that gets this vaccine at birth will have no coverage by the time they're an adult. And yet that's the rationale they use. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, the, the hep B schedule right now is maximum of 10 years. Uh, you check your titers at 10 years. As a healthcare provider, I, I had hep B in order to work in the high-risk environment that I was in the field. But for little infants, and I, I could see, I mean, if you have a known... Uh, the placental blood barrier um, carrying, if there were an exception, if the, the mother were um, hep B positive and there might have been a transmission, you can still check the titer level of the, the newborn to see if there's been a transmission that's, that's occurred. Uh, so it just, it does feel... Um, uh, just so invasive and uh, so traumatic on a, a little ones. We don't even circumcise children until they're eight days old. You know, they, they need a certain amount of time for that vitamin K cascade system to develop for blood clotting, but to, to have newborns right out of the womb get some of these before they go home so they can catch them before they go home is just, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and this is done universally across the country, that newborns will get the vitamin, uh, the hepatitis vitamin, um, hepatitis vaccine right after birth. At two months, they'll get eight more vaccine doses. At four months, they get seven. And at six months, they get nine more vaccine doses. If you look at, for example, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. This is deaths that occur in the first year of life. 
what you see is that the vast majority of these children that develop SIDS, that die in their sleep, that's why they call it crib death, um, get this, 95% uh, of them uh, develop uh, the SIDS by the time they're six months old. The vast majority of them occur between two and four months of age. Between two and four months of age, they're receiving 50 uh, vaccine doses following the CDC schedule. So this is a very critical period when the child by definition is immature. And this is what is causing such havoc in these children. And um, it's, it, it's so clear, you know, there, there are studies that show that children who get these vaccines during this critical period end up developing a form of apnea, which is the cessation of breathing. That's why they end up dying in the crib while they're sleeping. And this is always after they get a series of vaccinations and they come home. It's not before vaccinations. As they get the vaccination, they, they come home and then they're found dead in their crib. Wow. It's interesting that, um, that that whole back to sleep program for infants was implemented in the early 2000s where uh, all of a sudden, you know, when, when my kids, were when I put them down, they would go often face down, they'd go uh, or lateral uh, on in their their crib. And then suddenly, because of the increase, the sudden increase of infant mortality, they said, Oh, the problem is you're putting them to sleep on the stomach. And, I mean, they've been doing that for yeah, years. Now the solution is you need to put your baby to sleep on their back so they don't have these yeah. apnea um, the episodes. And when I was a medic, I started out in the 90s and I probably went on uh, in my first few years, one or two a year. And I had a large um, area that I, I helped service as, as a paramedic. And uh, as I left my, the field in my career around 2010, there were much more increases of these um, episodes of uh, sudden infant death, which they, they said they couldn't figure out what would cause it. They had all these high risks. So parents were, were very concerned. And I love that you were able to correlate some of these to the two to four month um, time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this notion that uh, uh, these kids are dying because you're not having them in the right position when they sleep as if throughout history, children were, you know, just sleeping when one position and, you know, they're just so nonsensical, you know, it just makes no sense at all. And so they will dance around this topic, the CDC and the FDA and, and uh, medical officials, and they'll never really address what's going on. It's uh, it's it's um, self-preservation. They've gone they've gone in so deep into defending vaccines that now they they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to, uh, you know, cop to the truth. And it's 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 frightening because this is not decreasing. It's continuing to be a problem. 
Yeah, it's getting to a point where it's it can't even be ignored. I mean, if you got down to one to one out of every two, or even one out of ten, I mean, you can cripple a country. I mean, you have a whole oh. generation yeah. that you have to take care of ten percent or fifty percent of the population as they get older. Um, you know, that's just that's unsustainable. Yeah. Well, and I've also heard uh, RFK talk about this a bit, and he says, you know. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins, the NIH, the NIAD, these organizations exist to help make Americans healthier. Like their whole job is to make, and what we've seen is that we've seen autism increase by 400% since, since Dr. Fauci began his job in the 80s all the way to today. That's an extreme fail. Like, and we're talking millions and millions of dollars that have been poured in to studies and they, and they, and they, and, and all of these, you know, vaccines have just increased. And then you've got, so you got people paying each other, you know, the politicians getting paid by big pharma, big pharma getting paid by the government, government getting, you know, paid. It's like this circular system of, of really systemic evil. Yeah. I, you know, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, it's, um, it's unbelievable how corrupt the system is. And most people don't get that. Most people think, well, you know, if the CDC says something or the FDA says something, that it must be true. But when you actually look into what's going on, you realize that they're essentially co-opted by the money interests, the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, it's, it's frightening. You know, uh, there are millions of unvaccinated children, and obviously there are more than millions <laughs> of vaccinated children. Do you know of any studies that have been conducted by the government, the FD, FDA, CDC, WHO, or other healthcare in health industry agencies um, that has studied the vax versus the unvax? As far as health outcomes in children, have you seen any studies at all? Not by the government. You know, what they say is, well, it would be unethical to withhold vaccines from children to make a comparison between those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, which is nonsense because there's groups that refuse to be vaccinated. Um, again, you know, it's just a way of uh, deflecting from the reality. Right, they've got the they've got the the groups already in place, don't they? They just yeah. have to do yeah. a study. Did you read that article about the Amish um, who don't vaccinate their children yeah. and, uh, and they don't have autistic children? That's right. They, uh, yeah. they didn't. Have They're healthy them. children. Yeah, I mean the studies show that uh, when you compare vaccinated to unvaccinated the vaccinated child has a much healthier outcome. You know, there was uh, the film uh, Vax2, which went around the country and it interviewed all of these families that had vaccine injuries. And then they also uh, interviewed parents that never vaccinated their child. And the, the difference between these unvaccinated children and how healthy they were as compared to those who were vaccinated and became autistic or had severe mental disorders and so forth, is just, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, the, 
I want to talk a little bit about autism. So autism in 1970s was one in 10. By 1985, after they had increased the amount of vaccines that children were receiving, it went down to one in 2,500. So there was a fourfold increase by 85. When you get yeah, that to- That was one in 10,000. 10, one in 10,000. One in 10. And by around 2000, it was one in 250, a tenfold increase in vaccines. And then when you look at the, the last 2020, we're down to one in 30. All of that, again, correlates directly to the uh, amount of vaccines that children are receiving today. Um, now we already talked about 80% of boys by uh, 2032 and half of the children uh, becoming falling on the autistic spectrum by that time. Do you understand what the pro-vax argument would be towards the uh, correlation? I, I think um, one family member that I spoke to said uh, the reason that there was a discrepancy was they didn't have the data back then. Uh, they didn't know what autism was. They hadn't diagnosed it. They didn't know the, the signs and symptoms. Um, I don't know much about the history of diagnosing autism. Can you address that? Well, you know, autistic children stand out immediately from normally developing children because of all their behaviors, you know, the hand flapping and head banging and rocking back and forth and, you know, their inability to communicate, the, uh, you know, isolating themselves from their family all of a sudden you know, losing the uh, developmental skills that they had learned uh, up to a certain point. For example, 80% of the autistic children are what's called regressive autistics. And this is where children develop normally until they get into uh, like toddlerhood, you know, 15, 18, two and a half. And when all of a sudden they just uh, revert you know, uh, to this lower uh, level of development. And it's always after they have a series of vaccinations. You don't see regressive autism in children who are not vaccinated. It's always after the vaccinations. And so, again, you know, you go to the CDC website and uh, they'll have a heading saying that vaccines do not cause autism. They're lying. There's uh, over 100 studies to show that there's this direct correlation. And when you just look at the, you know, the statistics over time, you see that, again, there's this obvious correlation between the two. And they'll look at anything except vaccinations. It's like the, uh, the elephant in the room that they won't acknowledge. And that's what we're dealing with. Uh, you know, Mark Twain said a long time ago, we have the best government that money can buy. And uh, what we have today is, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, we should get money out of politics or follow the money. Why do people say these things? Because that's how business is done. You know, the money interests uh, control what goes on for the most part when you deal with big government. And, you know, there's, there's so many examples of, 
of fraud by the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, between the year 2000 and 2022, the pharmaceutical industry paid out fines, criminal fines, for over $95 billion. $95 billion is $95 million times 1,000, to give that kind of a perspective. So between the, in those 22 years, they were fined. All of the vaccine industries were fined. Um, Between 2000 and 2018, prior to COVID, the vaccine industry made net profits of $2 trillion. So you see the 95 billion that they paid out in fines is the cost in order to do business. This is typically what they do. And so these fines, for example, the number one fine was by from Johnson and Johnson. They were fined over that period of time, $15 billion. They were cited, uh, they were cited like 72 times. 72 separate fines, criminal fines, for lying to doctors, for distorting the uh, test results, for uh, leaving out negative results, building up the positive results from these tests, uh, prescribing medications for children that were never tested for children. You know, it goes on and on. Uh, Merck was number two. And they had um, they had uh, uh, what is it? They had eighty one criminal fines over that period of time, and then Merck that was, or I'm sorry, Pfizer that was third. They had ten point three billion dollars in fines, and they were fined on ninety different cases. So this is not. So you're one- not talking about those compensations for vaccine injuries you're talking about illegal criminal activity by pharmaceutical um companies regarding the product that they're releasing on the public yeah it's they're they're a criminal organization and (laughs) there's no other way of putting it anyone who gets fined 90 times criminal fines 90 times most people would end up in prison long before, but this is this is what happens, and they they know that they're causing these problems. You know, you you look at the opioid crisis. You know, over five hundred thousand people have died from op- the opioid uh, crisis, and there's actually an excellent uh, mini-series. I highly recommend if people can get hold of it. It's called Dope Sick. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's on Hulu. And what it is, it's the uh, story of the uh, Purdue Pharma that put out the uh, vaccine OxyContin. And uh, it, it describes perfectly how the system works, how government turns a blind eye, paid off essentially, in order to you know, keep producing uh, this drug that is making people addictive. And instead of uh, uh, acknowledging what the problem is, 
they talk about it as if it's a pseudo uh, addiction, not a real addiction. And they kept on increasing the dosage because the dosage wasn't working. And so what happened is you, you know, you had so many people that were becoming addicts and dying from this vaccine. There was the uh, Vioxx, uh, is anti, um, uh, anti arthritic drug. And, um, that was responsible for 140,000 heart attacks and 60,000 people who died by the time it was shut down in 2004. And when you look at the records, what you see is in the testing that they, uh, that Merck did prior to the release of these, this uh, drug, they knew in their trials that this was creating heart attacks and strokes, and they released it anyway. Do you and think that, in that TV when they say side effects may be, it's because they found it in testing? You know, you hear it on TV all the time. These, uh, well, that, that's a very interesting thing. Um, people have become so desensitized to these commercials. They show people prancing around with not a care in the world while they're talking about the fact that they can die, they can have a heart attack, they can go blind. It goes on and on. Yeah. And people hear that over and over. And after a while, they don't pay attention to it. But this is, is what is happening. Yeah, and every, every one of those is there are people underground right now because and, of the side effects. Absolutely. And, you know, it seems like when you turn on the TV every night, there's a new drug that they're talking about. It, it amazes me. I wish, you know, I, I thought about, you know, just listing all the new drugs that I keep hearing every every night. And because the pharmaceutical industry has such a hold on the mass media, mm -hmm. you know, roughly 75 percent of the money that the networks take in is from the pharmaceutical industry. Right. And the pharmaceutical right. industry has, uh, you know, people on their boards. And so they they indicate what, what can be allowed to be on TV. And if something someone wants to talk about something that goes against the pharmaceutical industry, they can it. So people can't um, can't get the actual news. They just get what you know, uh, the pharmaceutical industry wants to present to them. And then you get commentators that have anyone questioning the narrative about vaccine called vaccine hesitant. Uh, they're labeled as tin hat conspiracy theorists. Yes. Yeah. Anti-vaxxers like me. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's, it's awful. And you know the public for the most part buys into it and so it's it's a real stiff climb you know to deal with uh you know what you know what people hear over and over and over again in your research um i've got a friend who's a uh who's who was a uh a speech uh pathologist and uh a speech therapist she had a career in that and she noticed quite a bit of increase in developmental um, problems with children over the years from her beginning. She's now retired, but she, she, I asked if she wanted to text in a question. She said, is there a movement 
afoot to overturn the immunity from liability that Congress gave Big Pharma by not holding them accountable for adverse effects? If so, what can we do to support that movement? Are you familiar with anything like that? Yeah, um, it's tough. It is real tough because you're going against a lot of money. You're going against a system that has essentially just, you know, gone along with what Big Pharma wants. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons I wrote the book. I, you know, I wanted to write a book that gave people uh, a basic understanding of the history, you know, in plain language that they could understand. Because unless we educate the public, uh, nothing's going to happen. If we're if we're waiting for it to happen at the top, we're going to wait a long time because the system is rigged. And uh, you know, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, the AAP, and you know, on and on, they're all in the pocket of the money interests. And it's hard for people to get that. You know, people listen to Fauci and they call him America's doctor. Yeah, he's America's doctor. He's actually America's pharmaceutical doctor would be a more apt title because everything he's done and, you know, uh, Robert F. Kennedy's book on the real Anthony Fauci. I mean, if you read that, uh, you realize how corrupt the system is. That was I mean, a great it is, book. It is corrupt to the core and most people just can't get that. Well, in case our audience hasn't seen the example that Leon's talking about, how uh, you know our media is bought out and controlled by big pharma, I think uh, Brandon, did you have a clip on that at all? Oh yeah, there's a great clip. There's actually a really good montage of um, brought to you by Pfizer, and I watched it, and it's like it's like sixty times. ABC brought to you by Pfizer. You know, CNN tonight brought to you by Pfizer, and it goes over and over and over again. And then there, someone actually created like a, um, a, a montage that included the most recent uh, phenomenon that we've been seeing going on in our culture with people dropping dead on live television or on playing on sports. So check this one out. Pfizer brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360 brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This countdown to the. That does it. <laughs> that sums it up. Yeah. yeah. And you said 75% of advertisements in yeah. networks are pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Oh my goodness. CBS sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Oh yeah, this one is I've seen this one. <laughs> Make a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on. Anyways, it just goes on and on. Yeah, that's disturbing. And laugh. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah, that's very disturbing. You, you want to laugh, but you realize how yeah. um, 
you know, we haven't even got into uh, COVID. I mean, COVID is uh, vaccines on steroids, the uh, COVID vaccines. I mean, you know, the, the amount of deaths that are created from COVID is, is mind-boggling. And yet again, most people, you know, I, you know, I deal with relatives who, you know, get their shots and they think everything's wonderful and, and I'm a quack because, you know, I, I won't get vaccinated, but, um, it's, a it's an enormous problem. And what we're seeing with the propaganda and the censorship is like we've never seen before. It is really um, unbelievable. You know, it makes you think that we're really not in a democracy anymore, that what we're really in is a beginning of a totalitarian state. And I hate to say it, but um, when the truth can't be told, when the only thing that is accepted is what the government narrative, the official government narrative is, then we're in trouble. And uh, this is what's happening. Yeah, anybody who knows anything about history of governments knows that they consolidate their power and they squash anybody to uh, squash anybody questioning their power. And th that's really the problem is that whoever you're not allowed to, to, to criticize is the one in power. Whatever yeah. you know, the questions you're not allowed to ask or where the truth is, you know, qui bono, who's benefiting from this? Where's the money? Follow the money. You know, those are the, those are things that I've, you know, you know I, I've never preached a political sermon in my entire life. And four years ago, I just started smelling a rat. And I said, I need to preach about this because this is as a shepherd of God's people. My job is to pr protect people from from eternal hell, but it's also to protect them from hell on earth. And that's what we're seeing happen with the, these shots and with uh, there, there is a level of corruption in our country that is mind blowing. That people just cannot believe because they, they want to believe that people are good. That generally people are good, and they just don't understand that the the, the, the nature of men and women's hearts, when there is no accountability, is the corruption just keeps going. I mean, that's that's why we have the axiom, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and mm -hmm. and absolute power comes when people are not questioned, when organizations don't, don't or have immunity from questioning immunity from illegal action and they realize oh well we're just going to spend about two billion dollars on this in 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 you know in criminal cases because that's just the cost of doing business well wait that's that is sick that is evil pure evil yeah i think part of our waking up the bear uh, that we've seen uh, over this time the last few years has been um the hardest part has been really waking up to that the CDC and the FDA who are there to protect us don't often have our best interests because they are driven by, um, by finances, by you follow the money, like Brandon said. And I'm wondering, just for those uh, parents who might be listening tonight and grandparents, uh, Leon, are you familiar with any exceptions or opt-out programs to childhood schedules for vaccine if um, children are still in public schools? Uh, it, that's really tough. It's, it's uh, almost virtually impossible in California. Um, you know, uh, going back when this first uh, came about, we were helping raise our grandson 
and I was able to get a, a doctor up in Santa Rosa signed an exemption. And we just kind of made it through. But today, uh, it, it's almost virtually impossible. And medical doctors won't do it because of the, they're putting their neck out. They can actually lose their license if they actually, uh, you know, come up with a, uh, an exemption for a family. Even when there's a legitimate reason, it's, yeah. it's frightening. And so um, the, the best I, I could say is that, you know, what families want to do is they want to find a doctor who's involved in functional medicine. It has a larger perspective, not someone who is, uh, you know, in the uh, traditional uh, medical model. Mm -hmm. who uh, just goes by, you know, the CDC recommendations, vaccinate, the, you know, the kids on schedule. You want to find someone who is uh, sensitive to the dangers of vaccines and you want to stretch it out as much as possible, wait as long as you can uh, to an older age. I would never vaccinate a child before two years of age. And if it's possible, and I don't know if that's true in this state, uh, if you can break up these uh, multiple vaccina vaccinations like the DTaP and the MMR, but I'm not sure you can even do that. But you, again, uh, when you, if they have to get vaccinated, you want to uh, spread it out, give enough time, and wait as late as you can in age. Because the younger you give these vaccines, the more tendency there is for them to have an adverse reaction. Um, they say that it takes two years for the myelin sheath to uh, protect the nerve uh, cells. The myelin sheath is like the, um, it would be analogous to the uh, plastic wiring, uh, the plastic covering around wiring as insulation. And so that doesn't totally form until the child is two years old. So when you're giving an infant 25 vaccines by the time they're six months old, what you're doing is you're creating havoc. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you just, just not get them? Like you walk out of the hospital, say, hey, we're not taking them. And then by the time they're in kindergarten, if you're being forced into a government school, if you went... You waited at least till they were five. I mean, is that a plan? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when your your child's being born, you can opt out, but you got to be careful. They may go ahead and vaccinate them anyway. Right. You no, know, but you really have to be. Yeah. You have to be forceful. You have to say, you know, I don't want the hepatitis B, and I don't want the vitamin K shot. There's all kinds of problems with vitamin K, uh, and you know, the whole idea was that it's you know, to prevent, to prevent uh, children from bleeding and so forth. But this is an extremely rare condition. Mm. And the blanket use of the uh, vitamin K doesn't make a lot of sense for most kids. Um, yeah, parents absolutely can opt out. They can, they do not, they could say, no, we are, um, we're, we're not going to take vaccinations at this time for our children. Hospitals do not 
have authority over your bodies or over your children's bodies, but you would, I would never leave my child, my baby with uh, medical staff without following that child every, with every procedure. Yeah. So if they're swooshing them away, you want to say, no, we are, we are keeping the child here or we are following the child. Cause um, you know, I, I've heard of cases where the parent says, no, I don't want it. And they go ahead and do it anyway when they take the child off from the parent. Right. So you got to have to be very careful. Yeah. And I have heard too, um, you may have, have seen some research on this, that at this time, doctors, pediatric pediatricians are actually incentivized to keep children on the vaccine schedules. They get quite a bit of money from the government in order uh, to, uh, if they can prove that a certain number of their patients have kept up with the full vaccine schedule. Have you um, seen any research about that? Yes, I have. I, I talk about it in the book, um, Blue Shield and Blue Cross um, will give uh, doctors uh, $400 for every child that's fully up to date on their vaccinations by the time they're two years old. And so this is a real incentive. You know, if, if a doctor has a hundred uh, uh, you know, children that are vaccinated by that point, they can make $40,000 and it can go up from there. So it is, um, there's a lot of incentive. You know, pediatricians, uh, the big bulk of the money they make in their practice is from vaccinations. Not only the kickbacks from like insurance company, but just the, you know, the cost of the vaccinations and visits and so forth. And so um, it's really tough. And you have, to, again, you have to, you know, you have to look at who you're going to have as your pediatrician if you're raising a young child. You want to get someone who's sympathetic and can help you kind of, you know, navigate through all of what goes on and what's expected. Yeah, there's a big wow. movement. It's been going on for a while now, but public school exit, public school exit. There's a big movement. Hey, don't have the it's really yeah. not public school, government schools. You public doesn't even get any say. The governments are paying off the, both the state and of California and the federal government is are paying people in the um, education area to teach stuff that they want taught. And the parents don't even have a say on it. So there's a big movement to get kids out of uh, public or government schools and to get, you know, you, sometimes it's better. I mean, even if you fail that as a parent, as a teacher, as a parent, it'd be better than putting them into public schools if you're killing them or if you're doctrinating their brains with a bunch of garbage. So, you know, I think there's you know, both a movement going on in uh, education, but also to save them from these uh, vaccine schedules that they're demanding they have. Even Christian yeah. schools, you know, a Christian school down down south where the nurse is like, I, we don't want to have to make you guys do this, but the state of California is pressuring us to do it. And, uh, and they won't let kids be in school unless they have these vaccines scheduled complete. And they won't take, they won't accept the exceptions even. Yeah, it's awful. And it's not just the public schools, it's private schools that all of these kids have to be vaccinated. And the only option you have is either leave the state or homeschool. 
you know, which is not an option for most parents. And it, it it's really tough. It's, you know, stuck between the rock and a hard place. And um, I, I just have a lot of uh, sympathy for, you know, what parents are having to deal with. Mm-hmm. I have just one more question. Um, I was reading an, um, an article and it said that not a single vaccine on the childhood schedule has been properly safety tested. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's I just amazing. find that incredible. Yeah. Um, they call it a biologic. And because it's under the classification of a biologic, they don't have to go through the standard testing that you would with a drug. And that was you know, as a way to kind of bypass that whole process. And uh, what it ends up, you know, it ends up allowing these uh, vaccines to go on the market with literally no testing. Uh, you know, the, uh, for example, the, uh, the polio shot was approved after two hours. Uh, and there were people at that time doctors at that time who protested it, but it went through anyway. And when, so when the vaccine came out, uh, it created a, a scandal. It was called the Cutter Incident, in which something like 40,000 children ended up getting polio, and a good number of them died. And it was because they were putting out this vaccine without really understanding what it was. And uh, that's what happens all the time. You know, it's like if you look in my book, I I touch on this. If you look at the process for developing these vaccines, it's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. It's it's total experimentation on infants with no proof of its validity. It's all about money. And you, you have these these panels on the CDC and the FDA, and they just they just rubber stamp these new vaccines when they come. And it's all people who are on the inside and, and you know, profiting from, again, you know, passing on the next vaccine. Yeah, it's- they leave the FDA and they go on some board of directors for a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, yeah. And then you have this, uh, you know, uh, revolving door between government and private industry, you know, right. like, um, oh, what's her name? Anyway, a gal who was in charge of the uh, CDC, she was the CDC director for something like seven or eight years. And when she left the CDC, she became in charge of the uh, vaccine division of Merck. Mm-hmm. Where she then went on to make, you know, uh, much bigger salary, and she ended up selling half of her stocks back in, I don't know, a few years ago, and she she took home over nine million dollars selling half of her stocks, in addition to you know an incredible salary that she could never make, you know, in government, and that's that's how business is done, you know. Um, something like 60% of people who were in government end up in private industry, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah we well, want to see that change. 
Yeah, that that that's for sure. I, I I think you you made a really good case. I think your book makes a really good case. I think you get into more of the details and the weeds of it. Uh, you know, but really what we're trying to do right now is change hearts and minds. Back, you know, we have to change hearts and minds out there. We have to get the, you know, like educate people, get them to ask the right questions, get them to stop just believing that, that that you know, one of the things that we have to do to get to truth sometimes is push well past orthodoxy. And that's the only way we're going to actually get to truth. And so, you know, we have to wake people up one person at a time. Hopefully people that will see the show, people that will read your book, Leon. Uh, you know, if you had like only five minutes with somebody and you had a chance to, uh, you know, give them an argument that would get them to question their beliefs about vaccines, what would you what would you do? You say, I got five minutes in the with a person and I, what, what, how would you address that? Or how should we address that with people around us? Well, um, I would start off by asking them how many vaccines did they receive by the time they were six months old? See what they say. And then tell them, and this is what I've done with people, and they're, they're really shocked. I tell them that infants, by the time they're six months old, receive 25 vaccines. And uh, that's a way of, you know, kind of shifting their, their thinking about it. There's so many things, you know, that, you know, just the basic information about the fact that back in the 50s, children received five vaccine doses. Today, they receive 72, 14, more than 14 times the number of vaccines they received back in the 50s. And in the 50s, we had very healthy children. You know, you didn't have children that were autistic. You didn't have children that had a peanut allergy. You didn't see children that had autoimmune diseases or cancer. You know that today, the second leading uh, cause of death in children between 1 and 14 years of age is cancer, only after accidents. And that's not my sadistic. That's what the American Cancer Society says. Wow. Second leading yeah. cause. And yeah. what do they get? They get formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is carcinogenic. And formaldehyde is in many of these early vaccines that children receive. And you're giving them, you know, you're giving them to children that are, you know, two, three, four, five, six months of age. You know, you're you're dealing with this immature body that hasn't yet develop the uh, ability to fend off what's going on. One of the things that saves them is uh, nursing from mothers. And if you don't nurse your child, that even puts you at a higher uh, level of uh, difficulty in coping with what's going on. So many, so many aspects to this. Uh, you know, the the whole idea of the vaccines is that it's going to prevent you getting these these common childhood diseases like measles, mumps, and chickenpox. But when you look at the research, what you see is that children, like back in the 50s, who get measles, mumps, and chickenpox actually are strengthened. Their immune system becomes stronger. And I could remember back in the 50s what parents would do if a child had chicken pox, they get all the kids in the neighborhood to hang out with them. So they would get chicken pox because parents knew back then if they got chicken pox, they would then have lifelong immunity.
and you know yep. they would suffer for a couple of weeks or what and now if you talk about you know uh, child getting chicken pox or measles or mumps it's like my god it's like the the plague they they yeah. make such a big thing about it you know when in fact getting these natural diseases these natural childhood diseases is what actually prevents them from getting sick later on strengthening strengthening their immune system it's it's so ass backwards yeah it sounds wow. like it yeah, and I heard uh, natural immunity is seven times stronger than the synthetic or the the vaccination immunities. Yeah, well, with vaccines, what you have essentially is lifelong immunity. What you have with the vaccine is temporary immunity. This is one of the problems, uh, for example, the mumps vaccine. Everybody got the mumps vaccine. And... Even college students had the mumps vaccine and then they go to college and they get mumps because the mumps vaccine wanes with time. And so they don't have the protection. If they had mumps as, a, as an infant, they would have this lifelong protection. And so that's why you're seeing these breakouts of these diseases like measles and mumps and chicken pox in populations that are fully vaccinated, mm. you know. Before uh, chicken pox came around in uh, 1995, children didn't get um, uh, shingles. Mm -hmm. And right. now we're seeing shingles in young children because the chicken pox vaccine, similar to shingles, herpes, gives them shingles. And that was a disease that old people got. And mm -hmm. now it's in children. Interesting. Wow, this is interesting. So we're getting close to the end of our hour here. Um, I, I just wanted to like thank you, Leon, for just being on the show today, helping us to wake up. You know, there's actually a passage in scripture that actually talks about that, that, that the great men of the earth through their pharmacia deceived all the nations of the world. And I, I believe we actually are seeing some of that happen right now um, being fulfilled. And so we need to stand up, we need to speak out, we need to proclaim truth, because truth does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of the cage with the lion, right? So that's what we're about here on Lake the Bear Radio. And I'm glad to have you tonight. And check out Leon's book. Go read it. Great book. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. Bye-bye.